Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Fantasy Scouts podcast, episode number 20, coming at you a little later in the week this week, Friday, July 16th, getting back into our division previews this week. I am your host, Chad Workman, joined by Matt Nine and Andrew Woodruff. We are going to break down the AFC North, run through the Pittsburgh Steelers, Baltimore Ravens, Cleveland Browns, and the Cincinnati Bengals. A lot of fantasy-relevant uh players in this division a lot of big names that we're going to break down today as always remember to head on over to our patreon patreon.com backslash fantasy scouts head on over to ffballallday.com posting tons of content there every day coming out with a lot of new a lot of great stuff so head on over there while you listen and just a reminder if you didn't listen to last week's um extra bonus episode Please go back and check it out. Kind of did a get to know us episode. It's uh, a little bit different than what we've done before, but we wanted to give you guys a little more insight into who we are and also a little fun surprise at the end of that episode. So if you haven't listened, uh, go back and listen after today's episode. With that, let's get into the show. today a lot of interesting offenses here that we're going to break down we're going to start with the Pittsburgh Steelers I know Matt has a lot to say on this wide receiver trio who you should be drafting where you should value each one I know Matt loves a certain specific wide receiver on this team Matt why don't you start with the Steelers wide receiver core how are you valuing these guys and and what are you looking for out of this group so I think one of the toughest questions to answer is I bet that I've been asked before is who would you rather have Deontay Johnson or Chase Claypool? And I don't feel like that there's a wrong answer in redraft, but when it comes to dynasty, I would definitely rather have Chase Claypool. He's six, four runs, you know, four, three, nine, four, four, whatever it is. He's big. He's physical. This, we are witnessing a, a player that, that really doesn't come around often because I'm not sure how many players that we can point to and we're like, I'm not really sure where his ceiling is because the ceiling really doesn't exist. I mean, Chase Claypool has the ability to be one of the best ride receivers in NFL history. Now, we don't know if he's ever going to get there because, you know, you do need to have a little luck along the way. You got to have good teammates. And we're seeing the end of Ben Roethlisberger here in Pittsburgh for 2021. One of the interesting f- stats that I found last year, based on last year, was that Chase Claypool was by far and away the most efficient wide receiver on the team. Out of all the big efficiency metrics that uh, is measured, he was second in target separation behind Deontay. Yeah, he was second in drop percentage behind Juju, and he was second in touchdown percentage behind James Washington. So of the, I'm looking at here, 12 categories, uh, he led all of those for the Steelers last year. I think the Steelers this year are going to pass more than people think. They were a top five passing offense last year, at least in pass attempts. I think they will be top five again. They've lost three of their starting O-linemen, uh, Marquise Pouncey, Villanueva, 
and DeCastro recently. Um, we had to believe he had the ankle issue. That's kind of one of been the big talk over the offseason is, you know, they needed to replace their offensive line. They were really, really bad last year. How is this offense going to look now? Well, I feel like it's a double-edged sword. Like, you guys kind of roll with me here. The offensive line was really, really bad last year. They lost three of probably the biggest name starters that they've had over the past six to seven years, like, you know, the true core of their own line. So you could make the argument, well, they kind of needed a new old line because it was so bad last year. But then you could also make the argument, well, they lost three of the most critical guys they've had over the last five plus years. So then now their O-line is going to be bad. So it's kind of like, which side do you fall on in that, in that argument or that debate? Uh, as far as pass blocking goes, though, Pittsburgh, they ranked fourth last year in pass blocking, uh, according to PFF. Run blocking, though, 31st, almost dead last in the league. They were awful at run blocking. So I think that's going to be the big question this year is even though they have three new starters on the O-line, I still think their pass blocking is going to be fine. But the question is, can the run blocking match that pass blocking? Yeah. So just to piggyback off of the PFF offensive line rankings, the they have them at 29th entering this season, just as their overall offensive line ranking. So, you know, you mentioned they were 31st in uh, run blocking last year. Well, Najee Harris is going as RB11 in Dynasty Startups, 18th overall. For me, that's that's what really stands out in this offense. I think, you know, Big Ben isn't quite the same as what he was, but the receivers are still the focal point of this offense. And using the 18th overall selection on Najee Harris seems extremely rich. For a rookie running behind, you know, a unit that lost three starters was already the 31st ranked run blocking unit. Now they're, you know, PFF is slotting them at 29th overall. Uh, I just think that's pretty rich for Najee Harris. And when you look at what the Steelers have done the last few years, I mean, last year they ran for 1,230 yards. That's about 300 yards behind the league average. Uh, 2018, they ran for 1,286. That's, over 200 yards behind the league average. Same thing in 2018, about 200 yards below the league average. So they're pretty consistently, you know, a few hundred yards below league average. They're a team that really throws the ball. I mean, last year they ranked second overall in pass play percentage and, you know, near the bottom in run play percentage. So I just think Najee Harris going that high in a startup, I'm just not willing to take him above, some of these other names that are behind him. You have DeAndre Swift going as RB12, CEH, RB13, Eckler, RB14, Aaron Jones, RB15, Mixon, Dobbins, et cetera. I just would rather have a lot of those guys than Najee Harris, and I'm I'm concerned that Harris isn't going to live up to his hype right now. What do you think, Andrew? Do you have anything to add on these wide receivers, running backs, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, I think you hit on a great point when it comes to the running backs with Najee. I think the talent's there for sure. It's just the situation right now. We always preach, like, go for the better value plays. And several of those running backs that you mentioned going with later ADPs, uh, one that I'm going to talk about next, has just a lot better situation to work with. And when it comes to running backs, we have to keep in mind he's going to get the volume, 
but that's not the only thing that dictates your normal success each year for running backs. It's also line situation, which Matt, you did a great job hitting on. They have a tough unit coming back. And well, yes, Najee's way better than James Conner or anybody else they've had in recent years. That's a lot that you're risking for an early second round pick, I believe is where you said it was going. I'd much rather pivot, wait, wait to get a running back in a different situation, get a different position. Maybe you're a tight end early kind of guy. Go get you a lockdown tight end to run with. And then, I mean, I think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago with Matt and a different topic. Like Chase Claypool, I think, is going right now at receiver 23. And, I I mean, that's, I don't even think that's his floor. I think you're getting him below his floor this year. And I don't remember where Deontay was. But you could see both of those te- uh, both those guys in a situation where the team's still playing catch-up behind because you're in a tough division. The Ravens have a good defense. The Browns have actually built a team defense that's actually pretty legit, it seems like, now. And, I mean, I don't think the Bengals are going to just be a pushover. But you can just go in control the clock the whole time either. So there's a high chance they could be playing from behind, more pass attempts, and that's more likely to benefit the receivers than it is Najee this year. So as a whole, I would be focusing in on the receivers. Um, I wouldn't probably even touch the other positions unless you just need a QB3, QB4 with like Ben. Yeah, so I, I agree with your guys' points on Najee. I think for Dynasty, Najee's obviously a great buy. You know, you draft him in your rookie drafts where, wherever you may. But for redraft for 2020, 2021, good Lord, I'm not entirely sure. I, I'm fading a little bit just because of the stuff that Andrew alluded to. And, I mean, one last thing, I mean, you know, as, as far as for Chase Claypool goes, they released a report or a beat writer had something saying along the lines of, all three receivers are going to see a hundred plus targets and Deontay is probably going to lead the team in targets, maybe by 15 to 20 more than Claypool. They're not going to take Claypool or Deontay off the field in favor of Juju. So we know Claypool and Deontay are the starters right away. They're going to be on the field all the time. Now here's where it gets a little interesting is where I would rather have Claypool is because when it gets to the red zone, it's going to be Claypool or Najee. Those are going to be the primary benefactors now, I'm sure Deontay's going to score a few touchdowns. Juju will get some touchdowns. You know, James Washington might sneak in a couple or Ebron, what have you. But, I mean, Claypool scored 11 touchdowns last year, two on the two rushing and nine through the air, playing as the wide receiver three. So now they're like, okay, we're going to make him the wide receiver, you know, 1A or 1B, however you want to look at it, and we're going to feature him even more in the red zone. There's a good chance that Claypool hits 1,000 yards and maybe 14 or 15 touchdowns. Like, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibilities. And – the final thing I'll say on this is this time next summer, if not sooner, Chase Claypool will be a consensus dynasty top 12 wide receiver. So I think we are creeping up on the end of days, so to speak, is where you can get him at his current value. Cause it's going to get to a point here pretty soon where he costs just as much as a DK Metcalf and AJ Brown or a Justin Jefferson. Yeah. So I'm glad you mentioned that because I was just going to ask, they're actually going right next to each other in terms of ADP. You have Chase Claypool going wide receiver 21, Deontay Johnson going as wide receiver 22. Matt, I think you just answered my question of who would you rather take there? So Andrew, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, it's Claypool all the way. You want the big, well, I mean, you hear people preach all the time, the big alpha receiver. I mean, that's Claypool's role. We know he's got it locked down. And based off what he did as a rookie, he enters a very rare group of guys who normally have a long track record at NFL success. So give me Claypool over Deontay, but if you can get both, I'm not afraid to stack both onto a team. Uh, Great follow on Twitter uh, by the name of Dalton Cates. 
tweeted this out the other day. Let me see if I can scroll back and find this. Uh, based on Chase Claypool. So based on his end of season finishes, you know, kind of ranking what you do as a rookie at his age, he finished in the same tier as five other wide receivers. Those wide receivers are DK Metcalf, Mike Evans, Dwayne Bowe, Josh Gordon, and Andre Johnson. That is a very elite group of wide receivers. Chase Claypool is the real deal. Yeah, that's a great list to be on. I was I was a big Deontay Johnson stan last offseason going into last year, and I think where he's going is extremely fair, but I'm with you guys. Claypool really profiles as the alpha, and he showed – he showed me everything I need to see as a rookie that he can, he can be a go-to guy in, in that offense. And I, I feel like for the people who don't like wide receiver stacks, I have no issue with the stack because you're going to get a guy that's going to get 120 targets, probably over a thousand yards. And you're going to get Claypool probably get close to a thousand yards and get a ton of touchdowns. So, I mean, as far as stacks go, I mean, there's nothing wrong with having Deontay and Claypool in your starting lineup at the same time. Yeah, exactly. You got to target your running backs early and then stack up on successful receivers that are going below their floors that's the way to go with dynasty startups nowadays yeah so i think you know a lot of good points on harris and those those wide receivers there uh should mention the tight ends briefly eric ebron kind of just a depth tight end at this point but he'll you know he's fine in like a, a two tight end league if you know he's your tight end prefer him as like your tight end three or something as depth and then friar obviously uh you know, kind of a dynasty stash there. One last thing I forgot to say on Claypool and Deontay is that in Matt Harmon's reception perception, they both graded out as one of the highest, each of them as some of the highest graded wide receivers on man press coverage and zone coverage, uh, winning those routes, winning those percentages. So, you know, not, not only are these guys good football players, they are often successfully beating uh, the corners that cover them. Absolutely. Uh, really exciting receivers there in Pittsburgh. And I'm interested to see the leap that Claypool can make this year. But with that, let's transition to the Baltimore Ravens, a very explosive offense that Andrew Woodruff knows a lot about. So why don't you share your knowledge with us, Andrew? What do you, what do you got for this offense? Yeah, man. I mean, let's go ahead and just start with the running situation. You were just, man, I was, I was hoping not to piggyback in too soon earlier when we were talking about Najee, but J.K. Dobbins, if he's going that far behind, Najee, like that's an excellent candidate of someone you need to be targeting around that area. And so, Chad, I don't know, he was your, your guy that you were hitting on a couple of weeks ago. So that's definitely something most of the listeners to be listened to and just go back and listen to how well you explained his case. But, I mean, he's an ultra-efficient back. He's in an offense where defenses will have to focus on the quarterback as well, which will only help opening up running lanes. And we were talking earlier about um, offensive lines that were struggling at the bottom of the league with the Steelers. Well, the Ravens last year were in the top six of rushing and passing protection. And I know Lamar is definitely a big effect on that. And we can go and see that the Ravens have had some major O-line changes over this offseason. Uh, you got Bozeman, who was moving from right guard to center. They traded Orlando Brown and signed uh, – is it Villa – how do you say that name? Uh, Alejandro – Neva. Alejandro Villanueva. Thank you, Matt. 
So, I mean, you've got him signed. You've got Ronnie Staley coming back from an injury. Uh, you got another uh, Kevin Zilter coming Ze- back as well. Zeitler. Signed as Zeit, thank you. Signed as a free agent. You've got a rookie that they drafted this year. They actually signed two other guys as uh, death pieces in the free agency. I went back and checked that as well. So I trust good teams that are going to find ways to get their best five players out front and protecting. And it sure the heck doesn't hurt to have an elite quarterback like Lamar to pull defenses away to help out your running game. So if J.K. Dobbins is coming in as your RB2 on teams, you are set very well because it'll be a high-scoring offense, great protection. He's going to get enough touches to be efficient with it. I mean, it's everything you want for a running back to be successful each year in fantasy. Okay. So kind of, I have a counterpoint then since you didn't talk about it. it. So I sent you this list that you didn't use of the offensive offensive line changes. Well, here's the thing is that I I agree. I think J.K. Dobbins is going to have a good year, but I also I'm curious as to what this offensive line looks like because you got Bozeman is moving from right guard to center. Uh, you traded away Orlando Brown and replaced him with the aging Villanueva, like you said, who was part of mm-hmm. the Steelers' horrible offensive line last year, who graded last in run blocking. You got Ronnie Staley, who's coming off, I believe it's a, an ACL tear, so I'm not entirely sure how he's going to look at right tackle. Uh, they signed Kevin Zeitler from the Giants, who's coming off the worst season of his entire career, one of the worst graded guards last year, lowest graded guards last year. And then you have rookie Ben Cleveland, who's starting at the other position, the other guard position. So this is a very, very interesting topic that I don't actually think is getting enough attention. Yeah, and that's just, a fair point. But you also left off two people that they signed. Uh, James, who I believe is going to be fighting for depth as one of the tackle guys. And there is another guard that they signed this year as well. So for me, it's the, the starting fact that I believe is, in good coaches. Okay. It is. It's a step back, but could you still see them being a top 12 uh, top twelve rushing grade as far as blocking? When you factor in a good coaching system and an elite quarterback that's able to run like it does, it's going to boost their grade overall, and it's going to help their protection be easier. There's a lot so of things that have to There will be right. changes. I, could. I just want to point out real quick, I mean, very valid points, but going back to PFF, who's, who's pretty accurate in offensive line, they rated them the 16th best offensive line following 2020 and heading into this year, they have them at 12th overall. So they actually see them as an improvement and not that that's the end all be all, but you know, I kind of trust their evaluation there. Yeah. Plus, I mean, the two guys that we, we just mentioned as free agents being signed from other teams, the Steelers did not have a good run game and they lost their quarterback. So teams dialed in to go after the running game with Connor who couldn't stay on the field or like Rudolph in the backfield. So, I mean, the offensive line struggled because the offense as a whole struggled. We could say the same thing about the giants as well. So I don't know if I'd write off the two major free agent pieces they signed, but it's definitely a valid point of concern. So that's why I said, get him as your running back too. And so kind of carrying that over, it goes back to Lamar, which I've, I've kind of found myself reading more and more for this offseason. Uh, for me, I've got him right now as my QB4, and I think that's an excellent spot for him. And here's a couple of reasons why I'm okay taking him as QB4, which, I mean, I just did in that draft today as well. Um, last season with a bottom, I would say bottom three running uh, receiver room, the dude was still finished as quarterback 10. Now that don't sound that great, but then I started going through and I was looking at it. He missed one game and then he didn't even play 
at least 90% of the snaps for quarterbacks in five other games. And I was like, well, what the heck happened? Was he struggling there? And I kind of went back and was checking his fantasy points. Uh, the game he played 82% in, he had 30 points against Washington. 82% again, 36 points. 82% again, 34 points. 78, 31 points. Like every game that he was not finishing these games up, again, Cleveland, 90, and right at 90%, he had 32 points. All these games went back and realized he was just – the team was just blowing out the opponent. And so he was just getting pulled early, so you protect your guy. So he was finishing quarterback 10 while missing a game and not even finishing five others. But those were the same games he's getting you 30-plus points. So he did all this with the bottom three offense as far as receivers. The year before in 2019, his first year as a starter, he led the league in passing touchdowns. I would say that receiver room wasn't any better in 2019. So he's shown what he can do just through the passing with nothing. Now this offseason, they've brought in Rashad Bateman and Sam Watkins, who is easily probably his best two targets he's ever had, which is sad to say. But at the same time, that just makes you realize just how much this guy can do. And, yes, we know he's an excellent athlete on the ground, and that's just an extra bonus. When I've seen him going normally toward the end of the background in the first is QB6 for your super flex leagues, having that top three ceiling I think is a fantastic value and well worth the cost because QB6 price, QB7 price, I don't think he's going to get lower than that this year since I think the offense has made improvements. And I kind of already mentioned the two receivers that I feel like are worth anything. Rashad Bateman, fantastic value because everybody's freaking out about this situation. And the main candidate everybody can point back to is going to be A.J. Brown. It's just one of those situations. If you trust the talent, don't let the situation scare you, especially with the narrative that Lamar is a bad passer. He's an average passer in the league with an elite ability to run the ball, and that's going to open up opportunities for Bateman just like it did in 2019 with what Snead and everybody else they had back then. So – Bateman's one of those guys, if you can get him at the end of your rookie first or even seconds, I've been getting it normally at 202, 203 for those picks that I had around that range. I mean, I think he's an excellent guy that you take and trust the town's going to play out. I mean, even Sam's not on there tonight, but I was curious because he's a big guy talking about trust the town on the film and see what you can find there. And so I just Googled it. You Google FF ball all day and just type in Bateman behind it. Bateman, like he literally has gone off about how Bateman could potentially unlock Lamar. It's his next level. He's saying Bateman's a prime example of trusted talent at the landing spot. Literally going, do not fade Bateman. Like he has been talking about this dude since February about how Bateman was one of the top tier receivers that he's seen. So when the film lines up and the analytics are there, he's a guy that I think everybody needs to be paying attention to. Watkins, I'm not touching him personally. I don't care if he comes up low as off week one again for 50 points. I don't think he's going to be there all season. And that kind of just leaves Mark Andrews going around tight end six, tight end seven. He's going to finish at least tight end six, tight end seven, if not better, depending on where this offense is. So that's the guys that I would focus in on if you're looking for any Ravens players. Yeah, and I – I could talk about Dobbins some more, as you mentioned, he was my guy. So I won't just, you know, repeat everything that I said a few weeks back. If you haven't listened to the, my guy episode, uh, you know, please go do so after this to, to hear my take on Dobbins. But I think the things that kind of bug me the most is just, you know, he obviously has questions surrounding 
his targets slash receptions, and that's valid. Um, but it's kind of balanced out by the sheer volume and efficiency that this offense runs with. And I've pointed that out how much higher the rushing totals are for the Ravens than the rest of the league. And, you know, obviously a huge part of that is, is Lamar Jackson and, you know, his, his option plays. I mean, the defense has to account for Lamar and JK Dobbins was wildly efficient last year. And I think, I think that's going to continue. And he kind of reminds me, just in terms, not of, you know, the profile, but just in terms of the player and situation, a guy I'm going to talk about in a few minutes with Nick Chubb, just a guy who is so good, so efficient on the ground that he doesn't necessarily need a ton of targets to be there. And I know Gus Edwards is involved, but Gus Edwards is not Dobbins. Dobbins is the far superior player. And between the two, I would say, you know, if, if anything happened to Edwards, Dobbins could definitely be a three down back kind of more of a workhorse and he's certainly capable of of doing it all and you know there's talk of them giving him more targets if that happens it's a big if but if it does he has a chance to smash his ADP and I think going as RB what is it 17 I believe that's too low I'm mm-hmm. he's a guy I'm betting on to outproduce RB 17. Yeah well we were talking about the NFC East uh, one of the other division previews I mentioned Pollard being one of the, you know, top tier handcuffs, I think Gus Edwards is right up there next to him. If something were to happen to Dobbins, Edwards would step into a massive workload. See, I I like Edwards too, where he's going, but my thing is like, if you roster, you know, this backfield, if, if Edwards goes down, Dobbins is, I believe an every down player, just a, a monster. If Dobbins were to go down, I think, you know, Edwards would certainly be the lead guy, but I still think they would use, like Justice Hill more kind of in the passing game, mix in some, some other players. I'm just not sure Edwards, I like him. And I think he's a fine, fine guy to roster. I think he's going to have standalone value, but, and he would obviously see an uptick if something were to happen to Dobbins, but I don't think his upside is as high as, you know, obviously not as high as Dobbins, but if, if one of them goes down, I, I don't know that Edwards role changes as much as, you know, Dobbins would. Maybe. I don't, I don't know. That That's a, that's a tough one because Dobbins and Edwards are obviously two very different football players. You know, Edwards is more of your, your quote unquote bus kind of guy while Dobbins is more athletic, more agile, you know, better hands, so to speak. So it's possible, but I, I still think he's up there, but unlike Pollard, like you, like you alluded to, he does hold standalone value, which is important. It is exactly. It really is. But um, yeah, I mean, I just can't say I could keep going on Dobbins, but I'll, I'll spare everybody the time of just sitting here and repeating myself. Um, I'm curious, I guess the, the last question I'll ask you guys, Mark Andrews, you mentioned him, Andrew, where do we value him along with like the Noah fans, the TJ Hawkinson's, the Kyle Pitts? There's a lot of kind of newbies coming up in the tight end world. Is Andrews still, closer to that first tier or are some of these other guys passing him up? Um, for me personally, my, my first tier is going to be Darren Waller, Travis Kelsey, and George Kittle. Outside that, then you've got this next tier, which can have several players, and I've seen it in several different orders, Hawkinson, Fant, Pitts, Andrews, and Goddard. I've seen arguments for any of them. Andrews, we know, is going to be one of the main focal features of a team that I probably expect to be high scoring again, which is going to be helpful for anybody. 
But that's why I was saying, if you're getting him at tight end six, tight end seven, you're getting a value with potentially upside there. But for me, I think I've got him listed right now about tight end six. And he may, he may have bumped back one spot. But, again, that's, that's about the price you're going to have to pay to get him. So you're getting him at his floor. You're either going to get that or higher. Yeah, I agree with that. He's going as tight end six, which I think is about right. TJ Hawkinson going as tight end five. I love Hawkinson. I think he does surpass Andrews. Uh, but Andrews is still a very safe bet at tight end six. So uh, good investment there. Let's head on over to the Cleveland Browns. I almost said my Cleveland Browns. They're not my Cleveland Browns, but this is a team that I have watched closely. Um, I was a big Baker Mayfield guy coming in. I've invested early in Nick Chubb, which has paid off for me. Cleveland Browns have been uh, uh, just a team I followed closely. And, you know, this is a team that made the playoffs last year for the first time in, I think, 18 seasons. So good for them. They're on the right path. Um, I believe ESPN ranked them as the third best roster in the NFL. So it's it's a pretty loaded roster. This is, I think, just a really good all-around team. But the center and the core of their offense is the running game. You know, we talked about PFF offensive line rankings. They finished as, uh, uh, after the 2020 season, they finished as the number one unit according to PFF. And they are considered the number one unit according to PFF entering this season as well. So that's really their bread and butter. They obviously have two very talented running backs which I will get to in a moment. Let's start with Baker Mayfield. He finished as QB 17 last year. I don't have a ton to say about him besides the fact that his, his numbers have been pretty consistent. He's lived between 3,563 passing yards and 3,827 and between 22 and 27 touchdowns. So he's been really consistent in that range, kind of that middling QB two. The thing that I... I, th- I think he's a little bit capped just because he doesn't have the upside as some of the other quarterbacks in that range, just because the Browns do run the ball so much and they're pretty low in terms of uh, their passing offense. But as like a QB two in a, you know, super flex or two quarterback league, Baker is really as consistent as it gets. And he's a guy, he, he hasn't, he hasn't missed a game yet due to injury. He'll play through, he's very tough. He'll play through, you know, little small injuries. So you can kind of count on him and bank on him as just a firm QB two. So, you know, he's not necessarily a guy I'm, I'm targeting just because I don't think he has a ton of upside, but if you're in a two quarterback league, you know, quarterbacks are shallow. You might only have two on your roster. So it's good to know that you have a guy that's going to be consistent and he's going to play and you can count on him in your QB two spot. So Baker, I think, you know, he finished, like I said, his QB 17 last year. I see him right around the same this year, kind of a middling QB two. Uh, If he does sneak up into that QB one conversation, it's probably more so just, you know, because he's playing every game and he's out there and consistent. And if other quarterbacks are missing some time, he could creep up. But I think he's valued pretty fairly around QB 17. Uh, In terms of the running game, I mentioned Nick Chubb, I've been invested in him. I think I own him in all but one or two of my leagues. I own him nearly everywhere. I got him early and often, and it's paid off for me. Uh, He finished as RB11 despite missing four games, and he only had 16 receptions. Only 16 receptions. 
four games missed, and he still finished as RB11. He is one of the most efficient backs in the league, and I mentioned how good this offensive line is. Uh, this team ran for the third most yards, but their running back specifically rushed for 2,126 yards, which was second best behind only the Titans and Derrick Henry, obviously. Um, their rushing play percentage was fourth highest in the NFL. I mean, I just can't say enough about this offensive line and this rushing attack and just how good it is. Nick Chubb was, he saw 190 rushing attempts compared to Hunt, who saw 198, but Chubb still outrushed him um, 1,067 yards versus Hunt, who had 841. Chubb is, he finished third in true yards per carry, second in, second in breakaway runs, fourth in yards per touch, third in breakaway run rate, first in juke rate, sixth in evaded tackles, and first in expected points added. Chubb is an absolute stud. And I think, you know, with a 17-game season, I think he's going to be right around 1,500 yards if he plays every game. And again, kind of like what I said about Dobbins, he doesn't catch that many passes because Hunt is there. If Hunt were to go down, Chubb would play every single down and he would catch passes. But even if he's not catching passes, he is so good and so efficient on the ground that really outweighs the lack of pass catching. So I still have him as a mid-tier RB1. I've seen people say, you know, sell him early. I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm still, I'm still hanging on to Chubb because I think he's, if anything, a little bit undervalued just because of, you know, that narrative that he doesn't catch passes, but he's just so good everywhere else. And he's so reliable. He was also, I think he was RB six in terms of uh, fantasy pros consistency rankings. He scored either a quality or great start on 83% of his game. So, I mean, he's pretty much as consistent as they come. And he's just a guy that I'm willing to lean on in my offense. Um, Kareem Hunt, he actually finished as RB10 last year, partially because Chubb did miss some time. Also because, you know, he caught a lot of passes. He, he had over 300 yards and five touchdowns receiving to go with his 841 yards and six rushing touchdowns. I do expect his numbers to regress a little bit, just assuming Chubb stays healthy, but Hunt is still, you know, a very good RB2 because he's going to catch a lot of passes. And again, he's one of those guys that does offer a ton of upside if if Chubb were to go down. You know, both of these guys can be three down backs in an extremely efficient running offense. So uh, I'm interested in both of these guys as, you know, an RB1, RB2. In terms of the pass catchers, honestly, it's not very exciting. We know Odell Beckham hasn't been the same since he's been in Cleveland. He was disappointing in 2019, just barely over 1,000 yards and four touchdowns. 2020, he played just seven games before he tore his ACL, and in those seven games, he registered just 319 yards and three touchdowns. Really hasn't shown any type of chemistry with Mayfield since they've been together he's he's obviously a little past his prime I think he's you know valued probably like a, a low-end wide receiver two high-end wide receiver three the thing I will say is he probably offers a little more upside than most guys in that range just because of his talent but uh this offense is all about running the football and 
I'm just not that interested in Beckham or Landry for that matter, who I consider more like a wide receiver three, four Landry has been extremely uh, efficient. You know, he's been always right around a thousand yards and he's been very consistent, a very good player for this offense. But uh, again, just the fact that this is a sheer run first team and with uh, Odell Beckham coming back, there's just not a ton of, of passes to go around. I think, you know, Beckham's going to finish right around a thousand yards, six, seven touchdowns. Landry's probably going to be around like 800 yards and a handful of touchdowns. The tight ends, Hooper, very overvalued last year. He, you know, didn't have a very good year. His first year in Cleveland, I think he was tight end 21 or something. You know, he missed a few games, but He's a fine, you know, middling tight end too. The guy I want to mention, obviously Harrison Bryant, good young talent, but David Njoku, I believe is somebody you should be sashing in dynasty. He's a free agent after this year. We know that tight ends often don't break out until their second team a little bit later in their careers. And Njoku's just uber talented. He hasn't been able to, to find his place in Cleveland, but like I said, he'll be a free agent. And I think somebody will invest in him as their tight end one next year. So He's a guy I'm stashing uh, ahead of this year in hopes that he lands somewhere following this season. And yeah, I mean, this, this offense is just ready to run the ball. That's basically the, the meat and potatoes of this offense. Yeah, man, I think you hit that perfectly on the point. I think I saw a stat before where Baker is actually more efficient with Odell Beckham out of the lineup than he actually was with him in. Uh, I'm pretty sure that was accurate, but I, th- I think we may have seen the best days of Odell where the only thing that holds value for him at this point is either best ball as a late receiver three option. I think he's going around receiver 30 ADP wise. So like if you're getting him there as a best ball option, I think that's okay. But I just, I know he's struggled through some injuries the past couple of years. So I just don't know if we're ever going to see him return to a talent where it's worth putting him on anything more than those deep rosters and those bigger leagues going on, going forward. I know I've tried moving, moving him the few shares I've had left at this point, as much as I can this off season, not a lot of people are going for it. So if he's somebody that you did get, you're going to want to wait till the season. Hopefully the first couple of games, we see him kind of explode like he did that one game last year with Baker. And then if you're still worried about the talent, that's your time to sell him. But I mean, Chad, you hit it perfectly. This team's all about the run game. I think Chubb's an excellent value for where he's going because he showed even last year as efficient as he is to miss as much as he did. And we know we stress as many times as possible, you want your running backs to get volume targets. And he still finishes an RB1 without all that. So, I mean, I think he's a great value right now. If he can get you, even as your running back one, I think you're set. Like, I don't have an issue for somebody want to take him mid Second, I think, is about where he's probably going to go to line up and just rock with. Did you say where uh, Kareem Hunt's ADP was, roughly? I don't think I mentioned it, but he's going as the RB24, 57 overall. So, like a back-end RB2. I mean, for that range, you start having to make the choices. Or you want Kareem Hunt, Damian Harris, Kareem Hunt, Zach Moss. I mean, these are easy options. I probably would go Hunt every time just because – we know he's going to be the guy who gets all the passing work. And when he needs to step in, he has some great games. So, I mean, even for his value, I think he's someone I'd rather play. But Odell, Landry, I'm out on those guys. And same thing with Hooper. 
I just don't see Hooper as anything more than he was in the right situation in Atlanta that produced. I don't think he's talented enough to carry it over to a new one. Yeah, I see a lot of people hyping up Odell, and they never provide any reasoning as to why. So I'm curious as to why. I wish those people played in my dynasty leagues. Like I, I was kind of think- hoping for an Odell trade this offseason. I think then maybe the value would have gone up some. But in Cleveland still, like I, I – I mean, Odell's an elite talent. We know this. I guess I'm just not a big Baker believer. I don't think he's that that good. Yeah, I think he's a better NFL quarterback. Like, I think he can manage this team and, and take them far with what they've got, but he's not going to elevate those pass catchers. And I think you made a good point, Andrew. I do think if Beckham has a game or two where he pops off, there's going to be a lot of buzz, and that's your opportunity to sell and get out. Yeah, I mean, that's how I'd approach it. I know we all saw, like, the people that defend Baker, they say that second half of the season, how he exploded, and I think was almost a QB1 for the second half of the season. But I don't know if he's somebody I would want to bet on super hard as my QB2, for example, in super flex leagues. But, I mean, if the situation's right, if I can have him as a rotation QB3, I think that's fine. But it just it depends on when did you do your startup? Did you get him early when he's not expensive? Or if you're having to pay up now in the rounds six, seven, eight, so go grab Mr. QB2, I probably would pivot and go a different way. Yeah, that's a good point. I I agree with that. I ideally want him as like a QB3, but I just think the thing I like about him, like I said, is he plays every game, which is, you know, they say, what is it? The, the best ability is availability. And sometimes that's true in a two quarterback league where, that position is so shallow and you just need a guy you can rely on there. Um, all right. The Browns fun offense, another fun offense in this division, the Cincinnati Bengals got some new blood in there, some big names. What do you, uh, what do you think about this offense, Matt? So right away off the bat, I think we have to look at Joe Burrow, you know, is he going to be back healthy in 2021 after his really bad knee injury that he suffered last season. And one of the big criticisms that he got last year was he was the worst QB in the league at throwing deep. And you're like, Oh, well he has all off season to work on that. And it's like, actually he's spending a lot of his off season rehabbing, not working on that. So I'm not sure if we're going to see a big improvement this year in his deep ball, which I think ultimately caps the ceiling of himself as well as his wide receiver core. But he has I still think he's going to be extremely good. He's going to be very viable. I, I, I peg him as a high-ish QB2. Maybe I like the QB14, 13 range. You know, might sneak into that QB1, but I think that's a little rich this year for him. But he definitely has that, you know, top eight upside at long-term potential. As for the pass catchers, I think it's a pretty clear tier. I think we got Jamar Chase, then we got T. Higgins, and then Tyler Boyd. Uh Chase is going to command most of the targets. I like him to see, you know, 130-ish targets. I don't, I don't, 140 maybe. I don't think that's that's crazy. That's about seven to eight targets a game. Uh, then we got Higgins and then Boyd who will clean up. I this I think there's a chance they might be like the Steelers. I think all three of them might see over 100 targets. But I definitely like Chase to lead. You know, there's been the reports about how him and, and Burrow have already, you know, reestablished their connection. It's like it was never lost and so on and so forth. So uh, I have no interest in any of the tight ends on this on this roster. I'm going to keep it very simple at that. And then there's Joe Mixon. 
what do you guys think of him? I'm kind of on, on the fence. I like Mixon, and I think I think this is the year to bet on him because he has everything he needs. Uh, $20 bet? What's that? A $20 bet? <laughs> yes, correct. But, I mean, this offense is going to throw the ball. Like, I think – I don't know. I, I've, I've kind of been on the fence on Mixon as well. I kind of talked myself into him having a big year, and I think there's a chance he does. But this offense is revolving around Burrow and those receivers. So, um, you know, I guess it depends where you're getting him at. He's currently going as, let me find it, RB16, which I think is decent value. But, again, I mean, Dobbins right behind him I'd rather have. So, I mean, you know, it depends where you're getting him. But if you're getting him as your RB2, I think that's a good, a good investment. Yeah, I, I definitely feel comfortable at RB2. I, w- I don't know if I'd want him as my RB1. Agreed. Yeah, RB1 might be kind of hard to return that $20 value bet for us. But uh, I, Although I will say, say just, I think Mixon does have RB1 upside. Like, I think he can. He has the, the yes. talent to finish as the RB1. I just don't think he will. Yeah, Situationally, I don't think the team's going to score a bunch as far as enough as one of the top, let's say, six, eight passing team oh, – offenses in general and i don't think the situation's improved enough to where he could be that level but yeah if you're getting him i would say rb 17 to 20 range rb2 rb3 i prefer if i can get a second good young rb i can store there right there with him but um i mean yeah i don't see i think this would be the one year i'm actually in on him based off adp past years i've seen him gone end of the first start of the second i was just i just didn't see him returning value so, yeah, if he's healthy, it could be the year where he actually helps people out. So this would be the year I would actually be okay going, okay, let's get Mixon on my team. Yeah, and obviously, you know, there's some differing takes on how how the exit of Giovanni Bernard will impact Mixon. But, I mean, you have to think he's going to catch more passes than he ever has this year, right? So, I mean, if he's catching, I don't know, 40, 50 balls, that's a pretty big boost to his value and something. I mean, he hasn't ever been over 43 receptions. He's had 30 receptions, 43, 35, and 21. So, I mean, if he creeps up like over 50 receptions, that that could be a, a pretty big boost to his value as well. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. But, you know, will they? Because they just drafted their third wide receiver. And do we think they're going to pass as often as they did last year? I mean, they, they did bring back his old running back coach that he had his more successful season under. So they might try and establish the run, but I don't know. We're going to have to wait and see. I will say one of the stats from last year, I think Zach Taylor was, I don't want to say if he was first, but I'm, I'm going to be safe here. I, it was top two or top three in pass uh, play percentage in neutral game scripts. So when they were tied or slightly behind or slightly ahead, they, they always tended to lean on the pass because they wanted to, you know, put the game away. So I wonder if they try and do that again this year. They, they come out, you know, gunslinging, try and jump out to a 14-point lead, 10, 14-point lead, and then just kind of, you know, run the football. See, I would think they want to lean on the running games to support your quarterback coming off injury and to give them more opportunity to play action, things like that. But, 
it's just one of those offenses. I really don't know how it's going to go, but there's several guys I'd be intrigued by. Yeah, I think uh, one name I just want to mention real quick, Chris Evans. I think he's kind of an interesting dynasty stash. He's a pretty talented guy. I mean, and really uh, after Mixon, the Bengals don't have much. So I think he's kind of an interesting stash and see if he's able to find his his legs there with the Bengals. Uh, yeah, you guys I mean, got, for the cost, that's great. Yeah, I mean, he's so cheap and – He's a pretty talented player. I would agree. I think I'd be more interested in Evans if Mixon hadn't signed an extension, but. That's fair. Fair point. All right. You guys got any last words for the AFC North? Why chase Claypool before it's too late? <laughs> By J.K. Dobbins at his ADP. Morris going to be a top three quarterback by the end of the year. I feel it. There you go. Is that bold or conservative? Conservative? What are you talking about, man? He was already QB one two years ago, and he didn't play all the games there. So who's top finished? three? So you got – I'm going to guess Mahomes, Allen, and Jackson? I think it's going to be Mahomes, Jackson, and then Allen and Murray's going to fight it out for the three spot. Yeah. All right. I did just get my first share ever of Lamar Jackson today in a best ball league and another share of Nick Chubb. So – I'm uh how did that make you feel? Excited, happy. I almost ran through a wall, to be honest with you. Oh wow. Yeah. All right. That's a that's, solid one two punch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty excited about it. Lamar is I mean, I saw I don't remember what it was, but somebody tweeted out. I apologize, I can't give him credit, but it was like if he throws for just I don't even know what it was like 3000 yards. He's going to be like at least a top three quarterback, just because based on like his rushing, like he just, he doesn't need to throw over a ton of yards. His running is so, so valuable. It's what this offense is built around. So that's mm -hmm. obvious, but it's just, it's just kind of eye opening when you look at these numbers and, and what he and that offense have been able to do on the ground. So uh, with that being said, that'll wrap up our AFC North preview. We will be back again next week with another division preview. Uh, but for now, remember, head on over to ffballallday.com. Check out our daily content. It's been awesome this offseason. I, I love every bit of it. You know, the stuff that not even the stuff that I write, but just the stuff I'm reading from everybody in the group. It's been really, really good content. Also head on over to patreon.com backslash fantasy scouts. Sign up there if you're not a member of our Patreon. And remember, be back next week on the Fantasy Scouts podcast where we bring you inside info you won't get anywhere else. <laughs>